0: Hey everyone. Welcome. Um, okay. Today, um, today I'm, um I'm, I'm going to take us into some difficult material. Um, there are years when I don't feel like, um, looking at the at the, at the Akeda, at the Binding of Isaac story. Um, there are years where it's just like, I mean, you know, it's such a hallmark story that we read it all the time. In fact, in our prayers, many of us say it every single day, recite the, the Binding of Isaac. And, um, and so, you know, you don't want to do it every year, <laughs> you know, um, thinking about what to teach, what to write um and then also it's just you know it's one of our hallmark stories but we've never really figured it out it's uh it's it's sort of impossible it's an impossible story because god makes an impossible um demand demands um i demands isaac um demands um abraham sacrificed his son isaac and that's you know i mean i think we have a sense like that's uh like what what is that supposed to represent why is god doing that there's a lot there i think we have a sense that this story is is on some level meant to horrify us you know there there are debates over whether um abraham was really supposed to do it or re- really maybe she even should have resisted doing it and some people would say no that's the ancient world and they, that was expected but I, I do think on some level everybody would acknowledge that this story is supposed to sort of startle us to chill us and you know the torah goes on later to say you shouldn't sacrifice your children to um to molach. right that was the way that you 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 worshipped some gods back back in the day. And so the Torah seems to be pushing it. I mean, in the end, um, Isaac is not sacrificed. So there's a happy ending, but it's a, it's a difficult story. There's lots of ways to take a look at this story. Lots of ways that ha- we have looked at this story um, throughout the ages as we try unsuccessfully to kind of figure it out. Um, but this week, I really felt like I said, some years I don't feel like Trying to tackle it, but this year I, I did feel like trying to tackle it because it, I wanted to be. Because the the world feels so dark right now, um, the 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 state of our people um, is is so difficult at the moment that um, that it felt right somehow to look at a difficult story, story of sacrifice and anguish and terror um so I want to take a look at it um and you know not to apply it directly to what's going on that's not it's not it's not my style anyway whether it would be wise or not that's just not that's not what I intend to do but um but I will say that I you know I what I tend to do is open up the the Mikrot Kadolot, the book of commentaries, right? And um, I just wanted to look around and see what people maybe refresh my memory, maybe find something new, some new angle on this story. And I have to say, uh, I didn't get past the first Rashi. That is the first Rashi, Rashi, our most famous commentator, um, the first Rashi on the akeda the binding of isaac is so chilling and so difficult difficult and it is especially difficult to read in light of what's going on so we'll have that awareness um you know in our minds when we come to it but it feels important somehow it feels like this is difficult stuff that um that requires some processing, you know, everything feels too soon to process, you know, in, in like, in real terms, this is what I think about what's going on. This is what should be done. I don't definitely don't feel there, but there are some themes that are just screaming at us from the Torah that I think it's, it's our sort of duty as a people to, to, to look at, to think about, to grapple with. Okay, so um, um, let's uh let's just get into it then. Let's say let's say a blessing and we'll take a look at the binding of Isaac, um, and that first Rashi, and see see where we get. Okay, um, do I have any announcements to make? Oh, if you're in LA tonight on the East Side, we're gonna have uh, Temple Beth Israel of Highland Park and Eagle Rock. We're gonna have like a Beit Midrash uh Beit Midrash is like the study hall and it's like the most sacred pla- place place, <laughs> most sacred Jewish place, if you ask me. And uh, as part of my new work, I'm I'm hoping to really grow Beit Midrash culture here in Los Angeles. So so uh, join us. You can find that on my on my uh Facebook page, a link to that, or at hadar.org forward slash west. W here I'll put that in the hadar.org forward slash west. This is where you can find out information. Uh, maybe, maybe Vera, you can make that linkable. Okay, all right. Let's say a blessing. We'll get into it. Mm-hmm. Just ask God to um, you know, to to allow us to to see things in the in the Torah that um that might help guide our way forward. Okay, um, let's take a look. Um, we are um, there's a there's a famous opening here, um, and that's that's where we're going to begin at the beginning. It's chapter twenty two of um, of uh, of Genesis. That's the last chapter in Parshat Vayera. First chapter in Parsha Vaera has an announcement that Sarah will it will um, will give give birth in a year's time, and that's that seems crazy to Sarah and Abraham who are eighty nine and ninety nine, uh, and um, and so the, this miraculous birth is announced, and that's part of the framing that um, that's the beginning of the Parsha. And the, by the end of the Parsha, it says this this child was born and will now. Be taken, snatched back, right? So that's it. Adds to the sense of, of um. Of tragedy here that um that it's a miracle stolen back. Okay, so um, here is the source sheet that we're going to look at today, and what we're going to do. I said I didn't get really fast past the first Rashi, and what that should tell you is I didn't get past the first line. So I was I read the first line, looked over Rashi's commentary. And just sort of startled, um and 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 stayed with that as I prepared for this class. So let's take a look now at the first line here of um the binding of Isaac, and we're gonna add we're going to try and ask the question that Rashi is asking. We're trying to figure out what is what what's to use the classic phrasing, What's bothering, Rashi? What is it that Rashi thinks we need to figure out in this first verse here? So let's take a look. Okay. Okay. Here we are. Uh, the beginning of the Akedah, the Binding of Isaac. A, a, a pla- uh, if there is a classic passage in the Torah, this surely um, is one. Uh, and we, uh, as I said, uh, in our liturgy um, recite it. Many of us recite it every day. Okay. Vayi, achar dvarim um, ha'ele. and it was after these things, v'ha uh, Elohim. Nisa et Abraham, that God put Abraham to the test, tested Abraham. Okay, that's the. This is the word for test, nisa. Vayomer Elav Abraham, vayomer hineni. He said to him, Abraham, and Abraham answered, Here I am, hineni. And then here's here's the test. Vayomer Kachna B'inchah uh, et Yichidcha asher Havta et Itzchak v'lech lecha el Eretz Hamoria. Take your son, your only one, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as an offering on one of the mountains that I will point out to you. Okay, all right. We're just let, let's just. There's, there's, you know. Then there's another um, seventeen verses in the, in the in the story, and as a kind of a literary study, they they we, we could. A, a different year we could just sort of move slowly through them because they are um you know this classic tale is told in just 19 verses and that tells you that there's a lot going on and a lot not going on in those 19 verses so we could go further but i just want to stop us here at this line and it was after these things that god put abraham to the test saying to him abraham and he answered here i am now uh, just to to get our parshanut brains working, like how do we how do we study the commentaries, or how do we study the Torah? How do the commentaries teach us how to study the Torah? Um, let's ask the question: what's what's bothering us with this verse? What needs solving in this verse? What is strange in this verse? You can either type it into the chat, or if someone wants to offer it, I just want us to like think about it. So, what's bothering us with this first verse? And it was after these things. That God put Abraham to the test, saying to him, Abraham, um, and he, Abraham, answered, Here I am. What's bothering us? God is testing Abraham, says Joe. Good. That is one of the questions. What um, God's tested. Why does God have to test Abraham? That's good. That is a question. But Tori and um, Ken um, um, take me to Rashi's question, which is an even prior question, uh, which is, what things? After what things? It begins. Right. That's a that that seems very clearly referring backwards. Um, it was after these things. It was after these things. What things? Because Joe's question, why was Abraham put to the test, seems like it's got to be related to this. Is it really just like? oh, anyway, next, you know, next chapter in the story. Is it like, we don't read the Torah like there's just throwaway lines. So when it says, and it was after these things, which is not the way every chapter in the Torah starts, we got to ask, what are these things? Okay, good. Um, and um, there, I see other questions uh, coming in. So they're, you know, if we're good readers of the careful readers of the Torah, we could ask lots of questions. You know, Payam is saying, well, what's he why does he say here I am? What is that? What kind of response? Um, um, so lots of questions coming in, but um, we're gonna take take we're gonna t- take up uh, take you to Rashi here, who is clearly asking the same question that Tori and Ken were asking. And you can tell, and this is just again good um. Rashi literacy here. You can tell because of what's called the dibur ha the opening words. Rashi always cites words from the Torah as the kind of like bolded words that he's going to comment on. And that tells you what where Rashi's focus is. And you can see here that Rashi's focus is exactly on these words. Here's Rashi. And it was after these things. Okay. So that's what Rashi is I'm concerned with. So let's try to figure out what were the things, and then we'll try to get to what was the to Joe's question. What was the test? Why was there, what? Why was there a test at all? What things prompted a, a, a test? And that'll come up in Rashi as well. Now I just, I just have to. This is really difficult. This the story is really difficult, obviously, and the Rashi is really, really difficult. There's difficult material here that is like. Painful material that we're going to be looking at today. So that's a warning, and um, and I'm not. Yeah, we'll we'll sort of wrestle our way through it. I'm I'm not coming in here with a, ta da! This is what you all need to know about this Rashi. We'll see where we get with it. But let's take a look. The Rashi has two answers. Now again, methodological point here. What when we're reading Rashi and Rashi gives us two answers, Rashi doesn't usually do that. As a general rule, Rashi gives us one answer that is selected from the whole corpus of of Midrashic material, Talmudic Midrashic, Rabbinic material of the, the days of the rabbi, the days of the Talmud and the midrash Rashi has read all that stuff and he selects through and he gives you one answer that just sort of fits right in and answers the question the rabbis may have given you 10 answers and indeed they did here but Rashi usually picks one the one that he thinks is best or solves the the problem in the verse the best lots of we could go on a tangent what what solves the verse the best but for 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 now Rashi the, the point is Rashi picks one answer. And here Rashi gives us two, and when Rashi gives us two answers, we always have to ask why? What what was the need for both? It seems that either or of these answers was insufficient, um, or it seems that each of these answers speaks to a certain point and not to another. Okay, so Rashi takes his answers from the Talmud in um, Sanhedrin, Masechet Sanhedrin, which as I said, gives a bunch of different answers to the question, "What things?" Okay. Last, last clarifying point before we head back into Rashi, the word "dvarim," dvarim can mean things. It also can mean words. These words, "elah had dvarim," these words that God spoke on Mount, on Mount Sinai, right? Or "elah had dvarim," these words that Moses spoke. Things, matters, words they're all contained by this by this um word in Hebrew davar okay so that'll be important because Rashi will play on that a little bit it won't won't just be after these things but after these words that were spoken what words were spoken okay and um we're gonna go to in we're gonna do two two different directions here okay so uh answer number one okay um, some of our rabbis say and then here's here's where they say it in Sanhedrin 89b some of our rabbis say that it means after the words of satan <laughs> This is like quite an opening right and if you didn't know that we had satan in this tradition and you were happy about that well too bad <laughs> we do have satan in this tradition in fact we came up with satan okay, we'll get there where what is Satan to us? It's not exactly the devil but it's not good either. Some rabbis say that it means after the words of Satan and here's the word in he in Hebrew Satan who denounced Abraham saying in all the feasting which Abraham prepared, not a single bull nor a single ram did he bring as a sacrifice to you. can you believe that? All the feasting that Abraham prepared, he didn't make one offering to God. God replied to him, he did it all for his son. You're right. Like, he didn't do it for me. He did it for his son. He was celebrating his own. He didn't thank me. Yet, if I were to bid him, sacrifice him to me, he would not refuse. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So this is like you can see we're heading into difficult material here satan you know and satan testing to, to daring god to test abraham okay first thing we need to do before we really get into this really chew on it first thing we need to do is figure out what is satan talking about what does he mean at this all this feasting that abraham did no know what is he referring to, and he didn't even sacrifice one, um, one offering. He didn't make one offering, and he all this feasting. Where? Well, how come he didn't offer anything to you, God? What feast is Satan talking about? Anyone know? Anyone know? Le- Leah knows. Leah Matsui. Yeah, um, Isaac is three years old, and it's a festival where he's weaned and celebrated. Excellent, excellent. That's exactly right. There was in the in the the very last chapter a big so so this is now we're starting to answer the question after these things after these things although it's in this case after these words which Satan spoke to um, God but in the very last chapter Isaac is miraculously born after that had been announced and we're told Abraham makes a great feast let's take a look at it it's on our source sheet here. But Leah's exactly right. This is what Satan is referring to. The child grew up, right? Got And was weaned, got to the point where he was no longer nursing. Um, and Abraham held a great feast. And Mishte has like the feeling of a party, like a drinking feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Okay. Okay, that's the feast. And hooray, everybody's celebrating Isaac. But Satan says, you look at this. uh, You did a miracle for Abraham and he just like ate food and celebrated his own life. And he didn't even think to give thanks to you. He didn't even think about it. Can you believe that? Okay. Um, And uh, God's response is to say, oh no, don't you think my servant Abraham isn't willing to do things for me? He'd sacrifice his son for me whoa where did that come up as a as a possibility but satan seems to have known how to kind of goad god into it okay there's one more so that's that's the that's the issue now i i should stop here i've been talking for a while and i should stop here and say so what's going on why would satan want to goad god into it what's the theology here it's such difficult theology how to but We must also mention, because this reference takes us there, and I think I saw it in the chat. Yeah, I see it in the chat. Uh, uh, Ken says, um, echoes of Job. Echoes of Job. And so that's right. Where does Satan come from? The figure Satan comes from the book of Job. And it doesn't mean the devil. It literally means the, the adversary, the adversary the one who is arguing against and seems to play into an idea that we have that like comes up a lot in rabbinic literature that the angels are always a little suspicious of us not sure whether we deserve our status in the world the angels the heavenly tribunal their voices divine voices that are against they're they're making the case against us we're not worthy of our of our of god's favor and so satan is like the adversary the the prosecutor is like one way to think of what satan is and there is also reason to think that satan in our tradition is an angel a fallen angel, right? This is where like the, the kind of the devil mythology kind of comes from. But is an angel, why Why would we call Satan the, an angel? Because it's not clear what Satan is, but the opening story of Job, which we'll look at now and then we'll open the conversation. The opening story of Job has this strange scene taking place in the heavens and listen to how similar this scene sounds to the conversation that Rashi just gave us between Satan and God. Here's another conversation between Satan and God. And it's at the beginning of the book of Job. Okay. And with that, once we do that, we'll have Rashi's first answer, and then we'll have to wrestle with it. Um, it's obviously it It's already difficult. We were in the one of the most difficult uh, chapters in the Torah, and now we're taken to one of the most difficult books in the Tanakh, the Book of Job, which you know deals with the question, "Why do the righteous suffer?" Okay. So here we are in the Book of Job. One day, Book of Job opens with like Job was a a righteous and and pure and righteous man, and he feared God. Um, And one day. Um, the divine beings. Now, this is the mysterious part. The children of God. So we're, not, we're never that phrase appears sometimes in our um in our Bible, and we're never quite sure what it means, but there's they don't seem like humans, so maybe they're angels or whatever the, the Tanakh's version of kind of lesser divine beings might be. One day the children of God. Um, came and presented themselves before the eternal and the satan came amongst them and notice that it isn't satan like a name it's the satan Ha-Satan. okay the eternal said to the satan where have you been which is a strange question where have you where, where did you come from it, it, it can be read in a, in lots of different ways may i tavo where do you come from or where 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 will you come from? Okay, the Satan answered the Eternal. I've been roaming all over the earth. Oh, this is just like we could spend our whole class on this line. What does that mean? Where did you come from? I've been roaming all over the earth. It's in a whole. This, this, this is enough to to wonder about for an hour. But let's make the connection to our scene. The Eternal said to the Satan, Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? Have you know have you have you noticed my have you placed y- your your heart's notice on my servant Job there is no one like him on earth a pure and upright man who fears God and shuns evil God is bragging about how great job is, okay and Satan doesn't seem to like that or at least is ready to push back And Satan answered the eternal um does job not have good reason to fear God? why? It is you who have fenced him around, him and his household and all that he has. You have blessed his efforts so that his possessions spread out in the land. You've given Job everything. He has a nice and easy life. But lay your hand upon all that he has, and he will surely blaspheme you to your face. If you just make him suffer a little, he won't be your loyal servant. Just try it. You think he's such a good and righteous man? When people suffer, they're, th- then then they're, they will they will curse God what you the loyalty you have is only a product of the ease of the of their lives and the eternal replied to the satan see all that he has is in your power okay do what you want to him only do not lay a hand on him but don't kill him you can do anything short of killing him and the satan departed from the presence of the eternal and you can do anything short of killing him well the satan kills his entire family instead and um devastates him with um with bodily afflictions but doesn't kill him but makes them suffer uh, un, unimaginable suffering. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So here we go. Let's let's try to figure out where we're at here. Um, we have we had a question. What was it that caused God to test Abraham? Why is the binding of Isaac a story in the Torah at all? What is it that provoked um, Ab- um, um, God to test Abraham? The answer, the first answer that Rashi gave is that Satan came along and said, look, Abraham's not sacrificing to you. He only thinks of himself. He only thinks of his own good. He doesn't thank God. Right? Okay. So that's that's an answer, and it's worthy of our processing. But there's just no way, when you put that answer in the mouth of Satan, that that doesn't remind us of another kind of great scene in our in our in our uh, Tanakh's theology, um, which is the conversation between God and the adversary who wants to make the case that if we suffer, we won't be loyal to God. Okay? So let's try to take like all of that information back to the binding of Isaac. What is Rashi saying about the test? What is it that God needs to test or what is it that satan has i mean you you hate to say this but almost like tricked god or goaded god into doing what is the what's this answer this first answer that rashi gives what is this about that maybe the thing that provoked god into asking abraham to sacrifice his son is that abraham um reveled in his own joys and didn't thank god okay okay um I want to take us to the second answer now. Okay? That first answer is a doozy to be sure we're talking about Satan, we're talking about God being de- goaded into testing Abraham. Like what is this the, the, the what is this reality that we're living in? And in various ways, um we've heard folks really sort of puzzled or 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 suspicious of the answer that Rashi has given us. And if you feel that way, That's one, that's a good, that's a, that's a, an appropriate feeling because remember, Rashi's going to give another answer. So even Rashi has a sense, maybe not this first answer, but I have to tell you, the second answer is uh, more difficult, more difficult in this moment. And I say it with like a, 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 a a certain amount of um, trepidation to even look at these, this story, though it's this week's Parsha. So it is like it's right there in front of us. Um, but the next answer um is um I read it this week and I just felt like, oh my gosh. I'm j- it just it just sort of wrecked me. It wrecked me. Um, and I certainly haven't gotten to the bottom of it, but let's let's take a look at this next answer, which imagines a totally different after these things. A totally what were the things? What were the what what happened to create this scene in which God's testing Abraham by asking him to sacrifice his son. And here's the the second answer. Okay, we'll go back up now. Let's go back up to Rashi. Here we are. Okay, some of our rabbis say that Abraham, that it was the Satan. Others say, others say, it means after the words of Ishmael, who boasted to Isaac that he had been circumcised when he was 13 years old, without resisting okay that's the story when circumcision is given to abraham um uh at that at that point ishmael is already 13 years old and abraham sa- circumcises his son ishmael so ishmael saying look i got circumcised when i was 13 that i'm the i'm the real hero and i i i let it happen i didn't resist okay in the talmud this conversation is longer it's like, I got circumcised when I was 13. And then Isaac says, well, I was only eight. And then Ishmael says, yeah, well, I, I could have resisted and I didn't. A little longer, the back and forth, but Rashi truncates it for us. And Isaac replied to him, you think to intimidate me by mentioning the loss of one limb? <laughs> and the limb here is, is a little funny bit of a funny phrase, the loss of one limb, you know. If the holy blessed one were to tell me, there's a little typo here. um, If the holy blessed one were to tell me, sacrifice your whole self to me, I would not refuse. Okay, I'm just going to read that again. There's a lot to process here. Others say that it was means after the words of Ishmael, who boasted to Isaac that he had been circumcised when he was 13 years old without resisting. And Isaac replied to him, you think to intimidate me by mentioning the loss of one limb? If the holy blessed one were to tell me sacrifice your whole self to me, I would not refuse. And in uh, in one version of this story, um, um, uh, uh, God hears that and, and says, oh, is that is that right? Well, the time has come. The time has come now for you to make good on that declaration, Isaac. Okay. All right. So, and and okay, and if the first answer took us to the book of Job, this answer, where does this answer take us? Where does it take us? Right back where we were, right back where we were. We, we've already got this source on the page. And so I went back and I looked at this source. It's the great feast, it's Isaac being born. And I read it just with a broken heart this week. Take a look at this, this, this scene here. It's worth our. This is this week's portion and it's worth our thinking about. The child grew up and was weaned. That's uh, Isaac, and Abraham held a great fast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Um, and Sarah saw the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham playing around, and and we're not sure what he was doing here, playing around. Okay. Not sure, but there, there he was playing around, and she flies into a rage. She said to Abraham, "Cast out that slave woman and her son, for the son of that slave shall not share in the inheritance with my son Isaac." Who's this, Ishmael, whose mother is Hagar, who um, is Abra- Abraham's first son? He had a first son with his um, maidservant Hagar at the um, at the at the behest of of Sarah at the time, but now Sarah. It has her own son and is not happy with Ishmael around. Maybe, uh, maybe mocking. This is where the idea. Oh, look! He was he was mocking um, Isaac. He was mocking Isaac. He was mocking Isaac, and so he said, "Look, I was I was thirteen years old, and I I'm a better son than you. I'm a better inheritor of the covenant than you." And she said, "Cast out that slave woman." Um, And her son for that son, son of that slave, shall not share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly, for it concerned a son of his. But God said, and, and by the way, this is a little vague. Which son of his? Probably Ishmael, but also Isaac. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed over the boy or your maidservant. Whatever Sarah tells you to do, do as she says, for it is Isaac who will be named as your seed. But as for the son of the maidservant, I will make a nation of him too, for he is your seed also. Early the next morning, Abraham took some bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He placed them over her shoulder together with the child and sent her away. And she wandered about in the wilderness of 'er Beersheba for all we know to die. And then it turns out she doesn't die. And why, by the way? Because an angel of God comes down. There's a connection there too, but that's not for today. For today, the question is, what's this answer of Rashi's doing here? Why this other answer of Rashi's? What is going on here where Rashi says maybe what happened to prompt the binding of Isaac, the test here, is that... Isaac and Ishmael were are, were fighting over who was the true inheritor of the covenant, who was um, willing to sacrifice more, who was um, willing to endure more pain. And I must say, right? I think you I think you understand that the reason that I am so uh, unnerved by all of this is that. We see ourselves as the descendants of Isaac, and um you know, Muslims see themselves as the descendants of Ishmael. So, you know, this idea that there'll be these two nations, I mean, in a sense, well, okay, that happened. Um, okay. And, and and so I'm trying to sort try of sift my way through all of this machismo. <laughs> You know all of this like um uh, self sac martyrdom, all of this um claim to the covenant to being the true son of Abraham, right? Okay, so I can just all of that is like screaming at me, but I'm just trying to focus on answering the 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 Rashi question. Why does Rashi bring this answer and how does this answer explain the binding the binding of Isaac, okay? um let's start with paim i mean the problem with the binding of isaac is Isaac, right he's not like a two-year-old kid i think he's like what 13 or 16 or you know and the entire story he doesn't do anything so the question rashi's trying to answer is that why is he so placid why doesn't isaac do anything and i think on top of that it's that isaac never comes down from the mountain right mm-hmm so it's like he's answering the second part of the question too it's like I think Isaac sort of failed the test you know yeah. like that's the reason he has to I mean they say he goes up to heaven and he has to study and you know there's mid rushes on that as well yeah yeah I'm gonna like uh that those are all intriguing I'm gonna I'm gonna like leave aside some of those like where does this all go and I'm just gonna take Piam's because those are interesting but we, we don't have a lot of time I just want to take piams. Um, first point, because I think it's a very good one, that part of what this answer does is it allows us to understand Isaac as the one who is being tested. Now, as a matter of of like kind of parshanut here, there's a problem with that answer because it says that God tested Abraham. Okay, through Isaac, but Isaac goes and becomes, like so Payan points out, even in the story, Isaac is passive willing seem, seemingly. That's interesting. And this sort of accounts for that. But in the tradition, Isaac is, you know, just look at your high holidays liturgy. Isaac is always described as the one who was willing to sacrifice himself. That becomes who Isaac was. I, you know, I I put myself on the, on the altar. And like, while that's not technically true, there's, it seems like maybe there, there's some re there's some way to think of Isaac as, as, He's being called on to sacrifice himself. And this this answer sets that up for, for um for us. Okay, so that's that's really good. In one way, it's strong because it accounts for Isaac's role in the previous scene. And in this scene, it's much you don't have to go to the book of Job and the figure of the Satan. You're dealing with like parts of this story. But on the other hand, that's a funny thing to say that this essentially becomes about God testing Isaac. All right. All right. Let's uh, let's let's hear from from a couple more folks. Ron, first key. Yeah, I um, my mind was wandering here, and I was I was looking at the listening to the two stories of, of one of the Akedah and one of uh, sending Ishmael off into the desert, and I'm thinking of the 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 two goats, one one that gets sacrificed, and the other one that goes to Azazel, both to die. And yeah. in this case, neither one dies. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's um. Yeah, you're saying so, you said so quickly. you you're, you're you you said you pointed us to so many of the tensions in this story that I think, you know, just in the plain reading of this of this scene, let's just take a look at it again. We hear the tension that Ron is laying out for us, where on the one hand, it seems like it's one or the other only one can you know as a highlander only one will only one will survive in the end you know um but then wait a minute that's not true it's not true they both are said to be the the the, the fathers of great nations the torah let's not forget the torah names ishmael as a, a the father of a of a, a mighty nation. Right? It's like, you know, it's from, and and more, I think more importantly than what the Torah thinks about Ishmael, which you know we could debate, is just what Abraham thinks. I mean, like, just look at this again here. Let's just look again at Abraham here. She said to Abraham, Cast out that slave woman and her son, for the son of that slave shall not share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly, for it concerned a son of his. No way. No way. Like, I can't cast my son out. And God says, No, you have to listen to Sarah. You have to listen to Sarah. And in listening to Sarah, he essentially dooms his first son to death. Okay. Now, I hope you can hear the way in which that, I hope you can hear the way in which that drama sets us up for the binding of Isaac in the sense that we realize now Abraham has already sacrificed a son. and resisted but was told by God no just do it trust me right so there's a little more like now we have a li- part of the reason there are some flaws with this answer right it's not like it's about God testing Isaac and, but it also there's something about this answer that sets us up the 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 previous scene sets us up for this It isn't just about Isaac. It's like Abraham is being tested again and again and again with giving up. When God says to him, at Yechidcha, your only son, it's not his only son. What about Ishmael? But the answer to that might be, well, it's his only one left. Okay? But where I want to just leave us today is with this last answer of Rashi's. That actually the Akeda is some response to all of the terror of the binding of isaac is somehow in response to some some tension between isaac and ishmael the two potential inheritors of the covenant who are almost fighting with each other over who can sacrifice more to prove that they are the true inheritor of the covenant and that, that image to me just feels uh, you know in this moment so heartbreaking so chilling and it reminds me and I don't as i promised i don't have a, any political thing to take away from that. that's god forbid not the role that i i hope to play here but i do i do feel like as a just as a matter of torah it's really important to remember that, and it's hard right now, but it's it's important to remember that we are Ishmael, Bnei Ishmael, and Bnei Yitzchak. We're actually family, and it just occurred to me that of all the people who are um, broken now in in the midst of all of this um, tragedy um, that has occurred, no one would be more brokenhearted than Abraham. You know, like these, this, these are his children, you know? Um, and I just, end, just, so we're not ending in total devastation. Just, just uh, there's one other line that I think it's imp- so important for us to remember. And it's going to take us a long time to figure out how to be in this place. But there is this, you know, uh, what is, what is the last we hear of Ishmael in the Torah? That when Abraham died, breathing his last at a good Ripe old age and contented, he was gathered to his kin, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him. Like that's where that story ends in the Torah is that the two of them are together burying their father, honoring their father, together in mourning their shared heritage. And, um, yeah, and that's that's that image. We have to hold on to. We have to figure out how to hold on because, like, somewhere in all of this um, is a fact that, you know, we have to to grapple with, which is that we are all related. And that just makes it worse, you know. But it's important to remember. So I'll leave it there. And um, I wish you a good Shabbos. And we will uh, resume next week.